Now, our speaker is Dick Alexander. He's been a great example and role model uh, for me in ministry for a few years now. Uh, he was uh, in youth ministry and a senior pastor uh, across the river for 49 years, but he's currently uh, still doing ministry because he apparently doesn't know the word retirement. And uh, so Christian Ministry Fellowship, CMF, maybe you're familiar with them, he's an international consultant, so he's still traveling quite a bit, uh, spends a lot of time with uh, Mission of Hope International in Kenya, which we've sent teams uh, over to Africa, to Kenya, to the, the uh, Nairobi slums there uh, for a, a few trips over the last several years. And so that's where he spends a lot of his time. And so he's going to speak a word into us. And uh, I'm just so excited for you, for all of us to hear from him, to be encouraged and convicted so that we can understand what it is that we've been called to. So give a warm welcome for Dick Alexander. It's a real joy to be with you this morning. I appreciate this privilege. And I should explain um, that I don't have a cold. I'm not contagious. This is how I normally sound. Uh, We had new neighbors move in next door. They had four young sons, age seven, five, four, and two. Very busy family. Betty and I went over to introduce ourselves, and the five-year-old Matthew was standing out in the yard with his dad. So I just said hi to them, started to say a word about us. I noticed Matthew's eyes were getting bigger, and he pulled on his dad's arm and said, Dad, it's Batman. (laughs) (laughs) So I have some friends uh, who say that I sound a little like Batman as well, and I've learned to embrace that, and I want to encourage you to embrace it. Because what that means is you have a superhero bringing the message this morning. Um, Most of the churches around just have regular old pastors. (laughs) So whether you're at the Union campus or Burlington or watching somewhere in Alaska on the internet, I want to encourage you to dial in and focus today because we want to talk about what God is doing in the world. And there is nothing more relevant than this. And understand what he's doing and then understand how you can be a part of that. I don't have to spend a lot of time this morning talking about the mess that the world's in. North Korea, Iran, Iraq, Syria, the Middle East, the political mess in our own country, uh, mass shootings, the heroin epidemic. Uh, It is a mess. But the good news is that there are answers for this. They're not political answers. Nothing in the next election will fundamentally change life for us. But the answers are real. And you can be part of what God is doing and know the satisfaction of that. If I ask you this morning, why did Jesus come into the world? I think most people here would understand a good part of that, you would probably say Jesus came to die and save the world from his sins. And that is absolutely true, but it is not the total story. It's not all just personal salvation. In Matthew 4, it says this, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God into the world. 
Gospel means good news. And the word kingdom occurs more than 50 times in the book of Matthew. It's not just Matthew. Luke 9 says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. See what's happening when the kingdom of God comes, the demons are driven out. What that means is you get the devil out of here. And that makes the world a different place. Now, Jesus had a unique plan for this. There is not a single candidate running in any state in America in next month's election who has a campaign platform, anything like what Jesus presented. In the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about how life was to be lived, how he intended it to be lived. And in the middle of that, he taught a prayer that we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Now, I'm going to ask you in a moment to read that with me. I know most people here would be able to say it from memory, but we've learned slightly different versions of it. And so that we are all saying exactly the same words, I want to ask you to read this aloud with me from the New International Version. Let's begin. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, here's what I'd suggest to you. I don't think we pray all the parts of that prayer with the same urgency. See, give us our daily bread. Wow, do we pray that. If you're out of work right now and you have a job interview tomorrow, today you're praying like crazy. God, let that interview go well. You're getting on social media to get the word out to your peeps. Please pray for me. I got this big interview. If we feel really guilty, we pray for forgiveness. But I want you to notice again, verse 10. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I would suggest to you that we often just kind of slide by that part. We may not even be completely sure what it means. What it's about is bringing heaven to earth. It's that the will of God will be done on earth in the same way that it's done in heaven. In other words, life in this world will be as God meant it to be. See, it all started out in the Garden of Eden. God put Adam and Eve in a veritable paradise. He gave them dominion. They were to rule over it for him. Well, you fast forward to now. The world now isn't much at all like it was back then because sin entered the world. And sin at its core is self-centeredness. Our human nature is twisted. We all have the universal birth defect of the human race. It's what theologians call a bent to sin. So this twisted nature shows up early. Think about a two-year-old. What is the favorite word of a two-year-old? Say it out loud with me. No. What's their second most favorite word? Mine. 
So we all have our own kingdoms, the areas where, in, where we're in charge. So it's my car, my house, my job, my plans, my stuff, my phone. It's mine. And your kingdom is wherever you are in charge or wherever you have influence. <clears throat> High school, middle school students don't feel like they have a kingdom. If you have a room of your own, you act like that room is your kingdom. That is your territory. When our kids were small, we started taking family vacations. Our son John was four, our daughter Kathy was two. And we said, hey, let's go on a two-week vacation. Let's make that an annual thing. So we piled everybody in the car and half our worldly possessions stuffed into one little car. This was before the days of car seats. So I put them both in the back seat. There were kind of bucket seats in our little car. There was a little hump in the middle. That was the demilitarized zone. <laughs> I explained to them that nobody was to cross that hump. So we head out down the road, and for the first hour, I went, well, we're going down the freeway. I'm watching in the rearview mirror, and I see this two-year-old foot come across the DMZ and kick the four-year-old leg. How many of you here have little sisters? I don't have to explain this to you, do I? <laughs> little sisters are annoying. They just are. So I'm watching in the rearview mirror, and that little foot comes over again. Bam, kicks the leg. Now, big brother, four years old, knows that he can't do anything about it or he's going to be in trouble. So he's gritting his teeth. So I watch, and the third time that foot comes over, bam, kicks the leg. He'd had all he could stand. He hauled off and wailed on her. Uh, there was a war that erupted in the back seat. I pulled over off the freeway, and we had the come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> I put the fear of God in them because the car was my kingdom, and we're not going to have fighting in my kingdom. Well, we've all got stuff, and we've all got territory where we've got influence. And God's plan is that we take the stuff that we have and the influence that we have, and we use it all for him, for the benefit of others in the world, so that the kingdom of God comes on earth. So we have the kingdom of earth, and it's not just our own little individual kingdoms. It's all the systems of the world. It's business and industry and banking and all the, the big system things. Well, let me ask, how's it going now in the kingdom of this earth? How many politicians do you trust? How many companies do you know that care more about their employees than about profit? How much good news is there on television or the internet or in the newspaper? But see, God's plan is restoring the world and bringing the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom from up there down here so that in your corner of the world at least there is more love there is more joy there is more peace it means that everything we're involved in is used for God I have a friend named Rob who's an early riser I am not I get emails from him with a time stamp like 4.45 a.m. one time I asked him Rob what time do you get up he said 4.21 when he said 421, that begs for a follow-up question. <laughs> Why 
421. He said, because 420 is way too early. <laughs> the reason he gets up at 421 is so he can get his work done before he goes to work. He's a manager in a large corporation in Cincinnati, and his view of his work is to support his team so he has an open-door policy. So he gets up early so he can get some of his desk work done so the door can be open all day and people can come in and get help with their projects. And predictably, what's happened over time is they've figured out that he really cares about them and their lives. So some of those conversations about work morph into conversations about marriage or about raising teenagers or, or about life. And I would suggest to you that his desk is an outpost of the kingdom of God. Now, that's the way God intends life to be lived, that our work, our home, our, our place at school, our neighborhood, all of it is God's will flowing through us into this world. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But it's not only our neighborhood, and it's also global. And that is why we send missionaries so that the kingdom of God is going out throughout all the world. It looks different in different places. First Church has a very robust mission program. I was privileged last night to be in a prayer meeting here with many of the people who the church supports. Absolutely wonderful people doing great work. Some of them are working in extreme poverty areas of the world, some in economic development. Some work with university students in the U.S., some university students overseas. Some are starting churches. Others are developing leaders, some in the U.S., some in Europe, Eastern Europe, some in Arab nations. It's a very diverse global ministry bringing the kingdom of God into this world. A couple years ago, I was in a meeting of missionaries and there were several who were speaking and telling about their work. One couple was introduced, but we weren't given their names because they work in Afghanistan. And it would be dangerous for them if it were known anywhere that they were actually Christian missionaries, if you please, working undercover. One of them works with an agricultural project. The wife works with a literacy project. They are in Afghanistan with their three children. They talked about what they do, and they said after they'd been there a couple of years, one by one, their Afghan co-workers began coming to them secretly, saying things like this, you're an American, can you tell me about Jesus? And they said one by one, their Afghan co-workers are coming to Christ. At the end of their presentation, they were asked, what's the most difficult thing for you? They thought a moment, because usually people say, oh, I can't stand the hot weather. They thought a moment, and then the man said, seeing our friends die. He said, Taliban will kill anybody for any reason or no reason at all. When they finished and walked off the stage, there was not a person in that room who felt sorry for them. They are living in a dangerous place, but they're there in the name of Jesus on the front edge of sharing Christ in broken place to bring up there, down here. Now, First Church partners with people around the world. Some of them are in dangerous places, most aren't, 
but they're all on the front line of bringing the kingdom to earth. Now, you might say, okay, so where do I fit? And you may not be the next person to go to Afghanistan, but there is something very specific that you can do. And that's what we want to talk with you about today. We want to shine the spotlight on giving hope and a future to a child living in extreme poverty. One of First Church's mission partners is Mission of Hope, and it's in Kenya. Mission of Hope began in the slums of Nairobi. Nairobi is a city of 5 million people, 3 million, 60% of the capital city of the country live in a horrible slum. It is absolutely hell on earth. People live in small shanties. It may be eight by 10 inches, uh, eight by 10 feet. They're smaller than the smallest bedroom in your house. That's the entire living space for a family of five or eight or 10 people. I was in one of those shanties where 22 people lived. It was a woman with 21 children. All of the adults in her extended family had died of AIDS and she inherited their children. I looked at the dirt floor and thought, I don't see how even children's sized bodies can all find a space to lay down at night so that everybody can sleep. The city ignores the slum. The city policy is the slums don't exist, so they provide no government services. Police rarely come into the slum. There's no fire protection, no running water, no electricity, no sewers, and very few schools. There are children everywhere, and they are just incredibly cute children. They're left alone during the day, including infants just a few months old. Why? Because their parents work what's called casual labor. They don't have real jobs. They have to walk into town every morning and find somebody who will hire them for the day to clean their apartment or to do their laundry and pay them a dollar for the day. And if a single mom goes to town and she's not able to find work that day, she comes home and has three or four hungry children at home, then she sells herself to some guy three shanties down for 30 or 40 cents just to get money so her children don't starve. 80% of the women are in this, in this slum are in some form of commercial sex. <clears throat> the HIV AIDS rate is 40%. It is a hell on earth. But American partnerships are beginning to make a difference now in the slum. And then First Church is involved in one of those partnerships in the slum. Wallace and Mary Kamau are a Kenyan couple who founded Mission of Hope. Mary is one of 20 children. Her father was a polygamist. She grew up in rural Kenya. She got to go to elementary school. She did get to go to high school and rare for children in her area. She went to university in Nairobi. While a university student, she committed her life to Christ, started volunteering in the slum, and then when she graduated from college, founded Mission of Hope in the year 2000. Wallace was an accountant with Price Waterhouse and then CFO of an insurance company. Very bright young guy with a rising career. He walked away from that to work with Mary in Mission of Hope. 
in the year 2000, they started with 50 kids, four years old. They started with four-year-olds because that's the age at which kids are sent out to beg. They wanted to get them before they established bad habits. They checked around and found the 50 poorest kids they could find and started a school with them. Gave them two meals a day, six days a week, and a great education. Every year they added a grade. The first year I went to Kenya and met them and saw Mission of Hope was the year 2007. There were 368 kids in two schools then. Today, there are 16,000 children in 23 schools. And that has been made possible because of child sponsorship. Americans willing to come along and sponsor a child into the school. These are extraordinary schools academically and spiritually. So what happens with an eighth grader in America? If a student's in eighth grade this year, what happens next year? They go to ninth grade. That's not the case in Kenya. If you're in the eighth grade, if you got to go to school, you test to get into high school. 40% of the kids who got to go to school passed the high school entrance test. The rest, that's the end of their education. In Mission of Hope schools, 90% of the kids are getting into high school. And these are the poorest kids in the worst slum in Africa. Kids are excited about this education. One of the things I love about Mission of Hope is that it's so holistic. They work with children in order to reach their families. The mission has reached out to parents of children. They've taught 6,500 of them to start their own small businesses. So instead of maybe making a dollar a day, now they steadily make three or four dollars a day. Well, that doesn't sound like much to us, but that's glory hallelujah for them from where they used to be. And I met an incredible woman there. Her name is Jane. When she met a Mission of Hope social worker, she was dying of AIDS. She just flat out said to that social worker, I'm dying, so I'm going to kill myself. And before I kill myself, I'm killing my three children so that they don't grow up to have the pain that I have. The social worker said, don't do that. We can get you on medication, and we can help you learn a business. You can be able to support your family. We'll get your kids in a great school. And all that has come true. And Jane is now a Christian. She sings and worship in her church. In her spare time, she walks through the slum just to give hope to other people. And Mission of Hope has thousands of those stories. Mission of Hope starts churches. Um, Frederick, this next picture, is one of the pastors. He used to be an alcoholic. You may be able to see in the photo a kind of a gash over his eye. He has a big dent in the back of his skull. He is the only surviving member of his age mates. All the rest of his friends he grew up with died in slum violence. Now he leads a church. This church partners with a school and a church in that slum. There's a team from First Church uh, in Kenya earlier this year and children are already sponsored but today there's a particular challenge we're talking about the school that First Church is partnered with is called Kosovo 
That's the area of the slum. There are 246 children in that school who are not sponsored. Over 1,000 kids in the school, but 246 aren't sponsored. And so, wait a minute. How'd they get into school if they didn't have a sponsor? Well, the story's like Jane. Soon a social worker meets a desperate person like that, they don't say, wow, I'm sorry, our school's full. Uh, we'll try to find sponsors for your kids. Uh, we'll check back with you in a year or so. They say, come with me today. There's help. And so the schools tend to run over with kids because the situation is so desperate. And they just take new kids and slide them in on the seat next to the kids who are already there. Put a little water in the soup so it stretches a little further. But there are 246 kids in that school who aren't sponsored. And we can fix that today. It costs $38 to sponsor a child. That provides education, food, Bible training, and hope and a future for these kids. And make no mistake about it, they are just very, very grateful for what they get. Now, $38 is real money, but it's doable. I drive a 96 Toyota, and this spring uh, I was involved in a little accident with it. I was sitting in a traffic light and then was rear-ended. I think a guy was texting and just ran into me. So his insurance company settled up, gave me 400 bucks to replace my back bumper. Well, I thought, this car's 96. I'm not replacing the back bumper. It has 286,000 miles on it. So I spent the money on other stuff, which was totally legitimate to do. But what I figured out was, that car could be a cash cow. <laughs> See, I got four fenders that aren't dented yet. <laughs> and a front bumper and a hood that's not dented. So would you help a guy out? <laughs> would you just hit me? I mean, I'm, I'm parked out by entrance three. It's a green Camry, license HCE 8546. Just pick a fender, any fender. If I'm not there, leave me a note with your insurance information. It'll all be good. But here's the deal. You may not have the newest, shiniest car on the block, but you've got a car. Most of the people in the world will never own a car. Your house is not the biggest, <clears throat> nicest house you've ever been in. But you've got a house or an apartment. The place where you live would be a dream for the vast majority of people in the world. <clears throat> we have resources. <clears throat> and American dollars go a long way to bringing the kingdom of God to this world. I want to close with this story. <clears throat> On the other side of Kenya from Nairobi is an area called Turkana. There's a big tribe, million people that live there. Very primitive, grass huts, camels. It's a desert area. The government of that area came to Mission of Hope. Mission of Hope started a school out in that area. 
the regional government came to the mission and said, you're very good with poor children. We aren't. Would you take over two of our government schools? So I flew out there with the mission directors to look at one of the government schools. And we were landing uh, on the landing strip at Lodewire. It's about as long as your driveway. When the plane touched down, the pilot threw on the brakes. We pulled over to the airport building. It's about the size of your garage. A little twin-engine propeller plane. We pulled over in front of it. He didn't turn the props off. He just got out and threw our luggage out in the dirt at the edge of the landing strip. That was baggage claim. <laughs> we were picked up by a UN vehicle, taken out across the desert to the school. It was totally depressing. I mean, we'd pass grass huts and camels on the way. I'm pinching myself, thinking the end of the earth must be 100 yards over there. We'd go to the school, it's falling down, first three grades, <clears throat> no desks, no chairs. Government couldn't afford them. Teachers didn't have curriculum. They were just doing the best they could with nothing. So we went through every grade. I noticed in each grade we went to, there were fewer girls as we went up through the grades. <clears throat> Eighth grade, one girl. On the way back to town, I said to the mission director, how come there's only one girl in the eighth grade? She said, the rest are married. <clears throat> the fathers began marrying them off at age seven to 50 and 60 year old men who are already polygamous. But those old guys can pay 40 goats for a good young bride. Your heart sinks. <clears throat> that afternoon we went to the mission school. We got there late. Temperature was way over 100 in the desert. It was just hot. It had been a long week. We were at the end of the week. We were late in the day getting there. Kids all sitting out in our massive shade tree. <clears throat> Up through fifth grade, 800 kids in the school adding a grade a year. That year, fifth grade was top grade. And we arrive, they come alive. They get up and do an hour and a half program for us. Fifth grade music group steps up, no teacher in front. First student steps out, introduces a song. Next student steps out, introduces another song. They sang scripture songs for a half hour in five languages. These are the kids from the grass huts. Three weeks later, they won third place in a national competition. And this last year, those kids were in eighth grade. Every one of them passed the eighth grade test to get into high school. In the morning, kingdom of the earth. In the afternoon, kingdom of heaven come to earth. It's there because decades ago, missionaries went to Kenya. Kenyans believed. Now, second, third, fourth generation Kenyans are beginning great ministry but they can't do it themselves. They don't have the financial resources to make it all happen. <clears throat> but we can partner with them. By sponsoring a child, <clears throat> you make it possible for a child to have hope and a future. First Church is involved in great work <clears throat> all around the world. God bless you as you continue this work.